So today's daf is Vav in Beta. We are actually literally on the first word of uh, Vav Amud Aleph, which is where we left off yesterday, Amar Rava. Very famous halacha here. Um, Rava said, Med biyom tov rishon askubo amamim. If a person passes away, Chalila, chas shalom, on the first day of Yom Tov, then uh, they, they could bury that person using non-Jewish workers who would conduct the burial in such circumstance. But Yom Tov Sheni, the Bach says you could take out the word met because it's self-evident that that's what it's talking about. Yom Tov Sheni, Askubo Yisrael. So what you see here is that there is one way in which the second day of Rosh Hashanah is treated more leniently than the first day, which is that when it comes to somebody who passes away on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we would bury them. Even Jews are allowed to perform the burial uh, on the second day of Yom Tov, and that includes the second day of, Yom, uh, of Rosh Hashanah, even though we don't, we are not lenient regarding an egg that is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, that it's permitted on the second day. So we don't actually uh, consider the second day to be of a lower status with respect to the egg, but we do consider it to be on a lower status with respect to somebody who passed away. However, now the Amre Apa Bitzah, the the Nihardean said no, even regard with regard to a betza, even with regard to an egg, as we saw before, um, as we saw before, this was a machlok at whether an egg that is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah should be permitted on the second day. The people of Nahardea thought that it should be permitted, and they said, what's the reason not to allow it? Because maybe you're concerned that the second day of Rosh Hashanah is going to turn out to be the real day, because it's going to be Ibur Chodesh. In other words, what in the normal situation, the 29th of Elul is always Erev Rosh Hashanah, and the 30th day is the first day. You're worried that maybe the second day is really the first day. Is really the uh, true day of Rosh Hashanah. We haven't found from the times of Ezra and on any case where they had an Elul of 30 days. It never happens that the second day of Rosh Hashanah is really the real day. And so therefore, we're keeping the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the 30th day from the previous month, meaning the 30th day of Elul becomes the first day of Rosh Hashanah. We don't really have to worry about the second day being the first day of Rosh Hashanah in reality because it never happens that way. The calendar never works out that way. The only case where we allow these leniencies regarding burying a person on the second day who passed away is if there's already been a delay. In other words, that's why the Bach takes out the word met biyom tov sheni because it's not talking about somebody necessarily who died on the second day of Yom Tov. It's talking about somebody who needs to be buried on the second day of Yom Tov. And so Morozutra is saying if there was already a delay such that we need to take care of things very quickly so we would bury him on the second day of Yom Tov. However, but if he died on the second day of Yom Tov and there hasn't been a delay, we could wait one day. We could wait till the next day and not violate the Yom Tov. However, even if there was no delay, in other words, even if the person died that day and there's no concern that the body is going to spoil, we could still bury on the second day of Yom Tov, even through Jews. And this was one of the interesting issues that, of course, very famously, of Moshe Feinstein ruled on not allowing the uh, not allowing burials on Yom Tov uh, seemingly contradicts this Gemara because his reasoning was that since we have refrigeration 
uh, and therefore we don't have to worry about the spoiling of the body, we shouldn't be uh, violating the Yom Tov, and so therefore he prohibited it, but seemingly that was what Morzutra thought was the issue, but Rav Ashi is saying that no, when it comes to somebody who died and having to bury them, even if there's no concern about the spoilage, we still, uh, we, we still allow you to bury the dead on the second day. This is the famous saying, that when it comes to a dead body, when it comes to Kvod Amet, the rabbis considered the second day of Yom Tov like Chol. It's like a weekday. In other words, it has no Kedushah at all with respect to um, burying the dead. And therefore, there's no reason. You don't even have to delay. In other words, it's not what we call, we could use the language of Dechuya Vihutra. Sometimes we say something is Dechuy. It's pushed off. Meaning, if we, don't, if we can avoid violating it, we would, but it's pushed off. Like, the, like let's say, Pikoach Nefesh. If we can minimize the amount that we have to violate, then we do that. But there's something called the Hutra, which means that it's totally permitted. There's no issue at all. Rav Ashi is saying there's no issue at all. It's not a, it's not a dichiyah. It's not that we're pushing off Yom Tov Sheni because of the burial. And if we could get around it, we'll try to delay the burial. No, really it has to be done on the second day because we, it's, it's hutra. It's completely permitted. And that's really, if you look, I mean, uh, the Hasidim still follow that same, they never accepted Rav Moshe Feinstein's ruling and they have, uh, uh, if there's, you know, Chas Shalom, a, uh, uh, somebody passes away in the Yom Tov, they bury them on the second day, it's, uh, it happens, it's happened, and uh, they never accepted that ruling. Of course, the, 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 the political motive of Rav Moshe was, or the, the meaning, the communal concern that he had was that people would perform other kinds of chilul Yom Tov that were unrelated, like driving to the uh, funeral and things like that, and uh, that's really what he was probably more concerned about than anything else. Uh, so it was more of a policy decision, whereas for the Hasidim, that's not really an issue. In any case, uh, even to prepare a glima, even to prepare uh, cl- clothing, uh, to cut it, to prepare the clothing, even to cut um, uh, the, um, the branches that they would place, the hadasim, that they would pre- place as a type of a bisamim, um, or as a type of honor to the dead, they would place different kinds of plants that could be a source for people to put flowers, I'm not sure, but uh, this was considered kvot hamet. Um, some people say it could be a, it was for a good fragrance to uh, and therefore it could be uh, it could be a uh, maybe a source for the uh, the the mevradim the 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 uh, rose water that the Persian people that we put on the graves uh, either way they would do these things and the point was that even to cut um, shrouds as as Tosfot explain, as the um, the mefarshim explain Rashi explains even something not necessary in other words if it was necessary like tachrichim the actual shrouds of the dead then for sure you could do it but even things that are not necessarily you're to do, such as fragrant branches, placing those on the uh, coffin, you're allowed to do it. However, now that there are chavrei, now Rashi says chavrei were basically these um, these people who were uh, evil Persians, okay? And these evil people in the times of the Persians were always trying to force the Jewish people to, uh, you know, to, uh, to enslave them, to force them to do work. And the, and the, the answer was, the, the, the response of the Jews was, sorry, Shabbat, Yom Tov, you know, respect our religious freedom and so on. Now, if it turns out that they go and they perform a funeral on Yom Tov, on Yom Tov Sheni, so now these, this Chavare, this group that already has it out for the Jews and is always saying, oh, they're just making excuses, they don't want to work and this and that, once they see that they engage 
engage in some kind of a work on, uh, on Yom Tov Sheni, so they're going to use that as a pretext to try to force them to do other things, and therefore we have to refrain from burial on the second day of Yom Tov because people will misunderstand um, and will think that it's not really a holy day, and we'll lose our, uh, this uh, line of defense against those who want to pressure us to work. You could imagine, like, let's say, for example, you went, if, if you went to a funeral on Yom Tov Sheni, but you, meanwhile you tell your boss that you can't come in, you can't work, you can't this, that, and he says, well, what do you mean? Uh, uh, you went to a funeral. What do you mean you can't work? I saw that you guys had a funeral on Yom Tov Sheni, so how could you say it's a holiday? Whatever. Actually, that's what Tosafot brings. Tosafot says, well, now we don't have the chavarei, so really it should be allowed, except Rabbeinu Tam said that nowadays we still have people in that kind of position, that they work for the government or they have other kinds of employment where... If, uh, if it's seen that the Jews perform a funeral on the second day of Yom Tov, so then these people will use it as a pretext to, uh, uh, to try to force them to do work on other Yom Tovim, and therefore we have to abstain from it according to Rabbeinu Tam. So that's another reason. Now, Ravina Havayatev Kamedu Ravasi, one time Ravina was before Ravasi, Bishnei Yom Tovim It was the two days of Rosh Hashanah, Chazid Havayatziv. He saw that he was sad. Amarle Amayatziv more. He said to him, Why are you sad? Amarle Lo Otive Shilin. It must have been a year that Rosh Hashanah fell out on a Thursday, Friday. And uh, he forgot to put Eruv Tavshilin, which means that he couldn't prepare Friday going into Shabbat. He wouldn't be able to prepare on the second day of Yom Tov his meal for Shabbat. Why don't you do it today? So it must have been the first day of uh, Yom Tov. So basically there's a trick because because normally on a Yom Tov what you could do is this. If you forgot to put a, uh, an Eruv Tavshilin, so what you do is on the first day of Yom Tov you put some food and you say if today is really weekday because it's not the, because we have the two days in the diaspora of Yom Tov. So if, the, if today is really weekday so then I'm putting Eruv Tavshilin. And you could do the same thing with Eruvei Chatz, with other kinds of Eruvein, like Eruvei Tchumin and, and other things. So if you, you could say, if today is really uh, a weekday, so I'm placing it today. And if tomorrow, um, and, and then you do it the next day again, and you say, if, if yesterday was, uh, I, I was permitted to, um, uh, I, I was really the, uh, was the Yom Tov, so then today is Chol and I don't need anything. Right? And if today is really Yom Tov, then yesterday was called and I made an Eruvay Tavshilit. In other words, the person can place that, uh, he goes on, let's say, to Thursday, Friday, Shabbat. So he goes on Thursday, he puts the food for Eruvay Tavshilit, and he says like this, if today is Chol, I'm making an Eruvay Tavshilit, and tomorrow I'll be able to cook from Friday to Shabbat. And if today is actually the Yom Tov, I'm just putting the food here, I'm not doing anything. And tomorrow, Friday, is really chol, so I could cook for Shabbat anyway. In other words, he uses that trick. So why can't you do the same thing here for Rosh Hashanah? Take some food and say, if today is really Rosh Hashanah, so then I don't even need Eruvay Tavshilin, because Friday is actually not Rosh Hashanah. It's actually just chol, and I'll be okay. And if tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah, that means today, the first day, is really not Rosh Hashanah. So when I'm making the Eruvay Tavshilin, I'm making it for tomorrow, and I'm making it on chol, and it's no problem. Why can't I do that? Amar emar da amar how could you say that? Rava was talking about any other holiday that has two days, but not Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we treat the two days like one long day. We treat them as this equal sanctity. We don't treat them as a safek. Didn't we say before that the people of Nardea maintained that Rosh Hashanah is also, the two days are considered like a doubt, and therefore an egg that is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah can be eaten on the second day. And they said a good reason for considering it a doubt is after all, the likelihood is basically zero that the second day is really Rosh Hashanah, because we know from experience with the calendar that it never comes out that way anyway, that the second day is the correct day. The master told me explicitly, that he, that meaning he told Ravina, because Ravina was the one who was, um, who was there and was, um, 
had been asking Ravasi. He told Ravina, don't ask that question to Ravasi because I heard directly that uh, he doesn't hold by that, tre- that statement of, the nah- of Nehardea. In other words, he doesn't maintain that, uh, that the Rosh Hashanah is considered to be like two doubtful days. He considers it like one long day and therefore he wouldn't apply that rule to the egg either. He treats Rosh Hashanah the two days as equal. And so therefore, there's no leniency for him and he was stuck without an Eruvet Tavshilin. Of course, um, that would be... Uh, uh, he would have to go to somebody else's house to eat or something like that. He would probably solve the problem another way, but he was upset about it. Now, if a chicken hatches on Yom Tov, so Rav, Rav says you cannot partake of that chicken on Yom Tov, even though normally you could slaughter and eat a chicken, it shouldn't be a problem, but you can't do it. Rav, I'm sorry, I skipped. Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan, and some say it was Rabbi Yochanan, said you're allowed to take the chick. According to Rav, it's prohibited because it's muktzeh, because it just came out of the chicken today. In other words, it just came out of the, uh, the shell today. So really, it wasn't available for use, and now it came out, so it's muktzeh. They say, no, it's permitted, because why? Because there's a process of permitting the chick. In other words, the chick has to be slaughtered once it's born. And Rashi says, In other words, once, it's, once it emerges... It permits itself now, it enables, it allows itself to be uh, slaughtered. So it didn't have that possibility before. So you can use that mechanism. So, that's how Rashi interprets it. It's a little bit of a difficult uh, reasoning. But basically, the way that Rashi says it is because the status changed that now shkita is a possibility once this, uh, once this efroach comes out. Um, and so once this chick comes out, the possibility of shechita becomes uh, on the table. So therefore, it also no longer has the status of muktzeh anymore. Um, Tosfot is uh, uh, is not a hundred percent comfortable with this um, with this interpretation because he says it doesn't uh, it doesn't exactly flow. But that's what Rashi says. Now the um, so then they, 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 uh, the discussion wasn't over because, they, because what happened was Amrei lei Rav Kanav Rav Asi Rav Rav Kanan Rav Asi said Rav Everybody agrees that if a calf if a cow is born on Yom Tov you could slaughter it right? So why is it that a chick that comes out of a shell on Yom Tov you're not allowed to slaughter it but a cow that comes out you're allowed to so he said, he said to them, because if you had slaughtered the mother, you could have eaten the baby inside. But you can't say that about a chick. You can't say that if you had slaughtered the mother, the chick inside the egg would have become permitted. That's not true. If you slaughter the mother and inside is an egg that has a chick inside of it, it doesn't become, uh, it's not covered by the, uh, by the slaughtering of the mother because actually when it's in the shell, it's already considered independent of the mother. So the slaughtering of the mother wouldn't help it. Okay, so there's no such mechanism like we have the idea of ben pikuah, where you slaughter an animal and it has a baby inside. The baby is also considered to benefit from the slaughter of the mother. We don't have that idea by a chicken, so you wouldn't have that idea by a chicken. So they said, What if the mother is a trefa? What if the mother cow is a trefa? In other words, she herself is not kosher because she has a defect, but she was already pregnant, and now she gives birth to this egel on Yom Tov. If you had slaughtered the mother, it wouldn't have helped because the slaughtering of the mother 
what wouldn't be valid because she's a trefa. And yet now when the baby is born, you're allowed to slaughter the baby and use and eat the meat. So you see from that, that even though while it was in its mother's belly, there was no way you could have permitted it by slaughtering the mother, we still don't say it's muktzeh when it comes out. So in the same way, even though there was no way you could have slaughtered the chick when it was in the shell of the egg, once it comes out, it's a new story, it's a new game, you should be allowed to slaughter it. So he answered, Shatikrav, Rav did not have an answer to that. He didn't know. Why is it that everyone assumes that if a calf is born on Yom Tov, even if the calf is born from a trefa mother that you couldn't have slaughtered the mother and covered the baby inside, right? Even so, they, they agree that when the calf is born, you could slaughter the calf. So why is it by a chick that we say definitely not when it comes out of the egg? Can you slaughter it? Um, so, why was Rav so quick to be silenced by this question? There's an answer. Because, because you could have said that, you could, that even though the mother was a trefa, you could have slaughtered the mother and used the meat for klavi, for animals. In other words, for dogs. You want to feed, the, feed it to dogs. Rashi says, In other words, but at, at the beginning of the holiday, if you had slaughtered the mother, you could have given the mother and the baby inside to eat to klavi. Okay, so therefore, whereas in a chick that's inside a hard shell is not available to a kelev to eat. A kelev is not going to eat a hard shell. But it would eat this animal if it had been slaughtered or died right at the beginning of the Yom Tov. And, uh, and it would have been available to Klavim. So why don't we say that it's a, since it was available to Klavim, in other words, since the mother could have been edible at least to dogs had you slaughtered it right at the beginning of the holiday. So it's still viewed as food. So when the baby is born, you can also consider it as food. You just get an upgrade because now it's also food for human consumption. So the answer is We know that something which is uh, set aside for human consumption is not automatically considered available for animal consumption. And what he's going to say is the opposite also should be the case. That so something which is set aside for human consumption is not considered set aside for animal consumption. Um, because you see, you can cut up gourds in front of an animal, which has nothing really to do with our case, but also you can cut dead meat, meat that died of its own accord. You could cut it up for dogs on Shabbat. You can only do that with an animal that died on Erev Shabbat. Okay, not one that came into Shabbat and died on Shabbat. What's the reason? Rashi says, because because before Shabbat really, it was for human consumption. Now that it died on Shabbat, it became only, because it wasn't slaughtered, it just died on Shabbat. So really, it, it's available now for uh, only for animal consumption. So it got downgraded because it was originally designated for human and now it's only for animal. The way that the Tosfot goes through the problem here that yeah, but it really wasn't muhan le Adam. It wasn't really available for Adam at the beginning of Shabbat because once Shabbat started, you can't do Shechita. So it's not really available for Adam. So he says, so I like the last answer, the last answer that he gives from Rav Yaakov Mikurvayl. He says that no, what it means is that right before Shabbat, it could have been for either a human being or an animal. In other words, you could have done whatever you wanted with it at that point. Um, so it's true that you couldn't have actually slaughtered it on Shabbat for human consumption, meaning when you were going into Shabbat, it had that status. And now it got downgraded because it died on Shabbat. It's only available for animal consumption. So we say it's muktzeh because of that. If it had died before Shabbat and it was available for only animal consumption prior to Shabbat, then we would have said, okay. So the downgrading of it makes it muktzeh. Okay, so now he says, similarly, 
מוכן לכלבים, הווה מוכן לאדם. So, would it, so could it be that something which is מוכן לכלבים is going to be considered מוכן לאדם? So Abaye is saying that it goes both ways. In other words, just like something which was really designated for a human being, it got downgraded to being only for a kelev, we say that it became muktzeh, so too something that was only good for a kelev, right? So if, if you had something which was only good for a kelev, such as the trefa mother of the calf that has the calf inside, And now the baby is born, which could be for a human being's consumption too, not only for a caliph, it's going to be considered muktzeh because it got an upgrade. So any change, basically, in the parameters of the accessibility is going to make it muktzeh. So Abaye is explaining that's why Rav didn't answer because he was stuck. He said, you're right. Any time the balance shifts that something that was only for that was for human consumption becomes for animals only or it was for animals only and now becomes for human it makes it muktzeh because it's a new phenomenon that's the way that Abaye explains it okay but the Gemara says no in so they said no amar in muhan adam lo ave muhan leklavim demai dechazele inish la shadele leklavim they're basically defending Rav they're giving him an answer they're saying you can make an easy distinction here Because something that was set aside for human consumption, if it gets downgraded to only be for animal consumption, we could see that why that would be muktzeh. Because, because a person who has a beautiful cow there that he's planning on having a steak after the, you know, at some point, and it dies on him, he never was thinking he was going to throw that meat to the dogs. It's only because, he's a, because he lost it that he has to do that. So he's never going to have that in mind to downgrade. However, but a person will always keep an open mind when it comes to his own interests. In other words, if, if it could be that this thing that right now is only for animal consumption generated something that was good for human consumption, I'll take it. Right? So you could say that it's not, that it works like that, that the mother of the animal that was a trefa, it's true that she's only available for animal, we could only give her meat to the animals because she's a trefa. But if she were to produce a baby, the baby is born, and now it's kasher, we would say, sure, we had in mind that whatever we can get from this animal, we'll take it. So when it's a matter of going from human consumption down to animal consumption, downgrading, there we say muktzeh, because it now it violated my expectations. My expectation was only for human. I didn't want to think about animal. But when I was thinking about animal, I always kept in the back of my mind, maybe it could become for human consumption. And therefore, we could say that that's the reason why the trefa animal that gives birth to a calf, the calf could be eaten on Yom Tov. Because you were thinking, whatever comes out of that, ca- of that animal that I can use, I'll take it. But when it comes to the egg, it wasn't available to anything because the, the efroach, The, the chick was encased in the egg and neither an animal nor, nor a human could have access to it. And that's why it could be considered muktzeh when it comes out of the shell, according to Rav. Now, Gemara goes on and says, You have one brighter that supports what we said is Rav's opinion. And one that supports Shmuel, or some say it was Rabbi Yochanan. What supports Rav? That it says that if a, a calf is born on Yom Tov, you could slaughter it. But if an egg comes out of the shell on Yom Tov, you can't use it. What's the difference? That's exactly what Rav said. That the calf, if you slaughtered it, what is inside would also be permitted. But the, the efroach, the egg, there's no way to make the the chick inside the egg permitted without getting access to the chick itself. Slaughtering the chicken wouldn't help it and it's inside the, because it's inside the egg. Meaning slaughtering its mother won't help it. You have to get to it. And so therefore, when it comes out of the shell, it's a new thing. 
that never had the possibility of being permitted before, and that's why we would say that it is uh, that it is a uh, uh, that it's going to be mukzeh. But Tanya kevate de Shmuel, beitem Rabbi Yochanan. There's also a brighter that supports Shmuel, and some say Rabbi Yochanan. Eges nolab yom tov mutar. Because it says, again, everyone agrees that if a calf is born on Yom Tov, it's mutar. And also the same thing with the chick. Exactly what they said above. That in other words, when it comes to the calf, it was muhan because it was prepared, it was considered available because if you had slaughtered the mother, the baby also would have been covered by that. And the chick, when it emerges, it's, an, it's a situation where it comes along with its own matir. Basically, it emerges in a state where it can be slaughtered, and that emergence removes the prohibition or removes the limitation of muktzeh as well. Uh, if, a, if a chick is born on Yom Tov, it comes out of the shell, it's Asur. This is the position of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, who says very few things. We always say, Mishnat Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Kav v'naki. That's a famous thing. He said very few teachings, but they're all very good. They're all halakha maase, or, or it, so it would seem. Right? So he says that a chick that has not yet opened its eyes is can, still considered sheretz ha-shoretz ala-aretz. It's still considered a not fully a chicken. It's more like a bug. And therefore you cannot eat it yet. The Chachamim say this is only an issue on Yom Tov because it was muktzeh. But the eyes being open is not an issue. According to Rabbi Yelizabeth ben Yaakov, until it opens its eyes, you cannot partake of it. Um, who is the author of the following that it says you cannot eat any any crawling thing that crawls on the ground this is Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, and, and it says that comes to include a chick that has not opened its eyes that is Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov's opinion when an egg comes out of its mother that's when it's completed what do you mean? What do you mean when it comes out, it's finished? Maybe you'll say that what it means is that up till the point that the egg is still inside the chicken, it's considered like chicken. And therefore you can't eat it with, with uh, dairy. Once it comes out of the chicken, the egg comes out of the chicken, now that egg can be eaten with dairy. So, that's implying that as long as it's inside the mother, if you took that egg, if you slaughtered a chicken and you found full eggs inside, completed eggs inside, that you wouldn't be able to eat them with dairy, but that's not true. We know that if you slaughter a chicken and you find complete eggs inside, you're allowed to eat them with milk. So even before they're born, in other words, even if the chicken never laid the eggs, you still could eat the eggs found inside with milk. And then there's a whole discussion about what stage is considered gmurot, big machloket, in your idea, some say once it has the chilmon, once it has the yolk, some say it has to have also the white part, some say it has to have the soft shell, sometimes it has to, some say the minhag is that it has to have the full hard shell, some say even that the minhag is not to allow it. You know, there's all different opinions. But anyway, the halakha said the practical halakha for sure, for sure, is if you have, uh, if it's in the shell inside, for sure it would be permitted. Right? And according to Shukhan Aruch, it's a machloket. He brings both opinions, but for sure, if it had the chelmon v'chelmon, if it had the white part and the yellow part, it should be allowed. It's fully developed. In any case, the point is, if you find the egg inside the chicken, it's permitted to eat it with dairy already. So you don't need it to come out. So what does it mean when it comes out, it's completed? Maybe you would say that that means that if it came out of the mother on Erev Yom Tov, Right? So now you can eat it on Yom Tov. 
So you're, again, you're implying that if I found this egg inside the mother, I wouldn't be able to eat it. But that's not true. We learned before. We know that that's not the, tr- that's not the case. That if, the, if you found it inside the mother, you definitely would be able to eat it on Yom Tov. Okay? So therefore, maybe you'll say that this Braita is just coming to tell you a case that you didn't talk, that you don't find in the Mishnah. In other words, it's not necessarily saying, and Rashi says, Right? Okay? In other words, maybe you'll say that this, uh, this Braita is not, in, this Braita that's saying that the uh, Betza is, uh, uh, that's found in the, uh, uh, inside the mother, right? So that, that it's permitted to eat it on Yom Tov. Maybe you'll say that's, that's not in accordance with our teaching. We don't hold by that. Maybe we don't hold by that. It's, it's not Lema'aseh. It's, it's something that, like Rashi says, if, if it wasn't found in the Mishnah, then how do we, then where do we get it from? Right? It says, no, Hanami Tanina, we have it in the, uh, we have it in the, in the Mishnah too, because it says, Beit HaShinolda Biyom Tov, Beit Shamayim Umim Te'achil, Beit Adam Umim Lotechil, Fadkan Lopligi Beit Shamayim Te'achil, Beit Adam Umim Lotechil, Fadkan Lopligi Beit Shamayim In fact, our Mishnah supports that idea, because it says that the Machloket between Beit Shamayim and Beit Hillel begins at the moment of the birth of the egg, when the egg comes out. But as long as it's in there, if it's found in there, it's allowed. So that supports this Braita. So we're not going to reject the Braita. So we're again stuck with why does it say the that only if the egg came out of the chicken on Erev Yom Tov would it be permitted to eat it, implying that if it's inside the chicken you wouldn't be able to eat it. Everybody seems to agree that that's not the case. Maybe Beitilel is more extreme and holds that the egg inside the chicken, if it's discovered inside the chicken, it cannot be eaten on Yom Tov. And maybe the chidush of our Mishnah is to show you that Beit Shammai is so lenient that not only, in other words, he's really, Beit Shammai is really the one, that they're really the ones that said that if you find the, the egg inside the chicken on Yom Tov, you could eat it. And they go so far that they even say that if, you, if it was born, if it was laid, you could also eat it. But Beit Hillel is so strict to the opposite extreme, that whether, it's, whether it comes out or it's inside the mother, it's not allowed. Maybe that's the case. Okay? So, and if that is so, but then we're going to have the problem that that Braita that speaks about slaughtering the chicken and finding the um, eggs inside is not going to be according to anybody. Because according to Beit Shammai, even if the egg came out, it would be okay. And according to Beit Hillel, even if the eggs are found inside the mother, it's not going to be okay. So we wouldn't need that Braita at all then. The Braita would be totally superfluous if you assume that, if you assume that they also argue down the party line about the egg that's found inside the body of the chicken. Rather what? We're going to have to say, And what does it mean that it's finished when it's born? Nothing to do with the Yom Tov at all. Okay? What it means is, Okay? What it means is that only if an egg is laid does it have the possibility of growing chicks. Okay, but if you find 
eggs, even if they are fully developed inside the mother, there's no way that you could then have them fertilized and, uh, and, and, and have them, uh, that they would ever be able to uh, grow. In other words, even if they were fertilized while they were in the, inside the mother, there's no way that now the, um, the uh, chick would have, would, a chick would ever be born from such an egg. Only an egg that is laid can then be the the uh, you know then the chicken sits on it or whatever it's incubated and then it uh, and then it it creates a chick. But if it's if it's found inside the mother's body, even if there was some fertilization process, it will never reach the point of of uh, having chicks come from it. Now they might not come in alim mikachum imkar. The really the real issue is the mikachum imkar. The real issue is not with regard to yom tov and not with regard to kashrut, but with regard to financial issues. Because if I go and I say I want betzim gmurot. I want fully developed eggs. Okay? So a person says, He comes and he says, I want eggs that were laid by the chicken. Okay? I want free range eggs that were laid by the chicken. Right? And the guy gives them, Right? Like the case of a guy, this is saying a real case happened. The guy came and he said, I want eggs that were laid by the chicken and they gave him eggs that were found inside a chicken. They went to Bedin and he said it's a mekachtaot, it's a, it's a, it's an erroneous sale. Right? So the, so, so, and, and therefore I have to, uh, I, I want my money back. Okay? Because I asked for eggs that were born from the chicken, that were laid by the chicken and you gave me ones that you found inside the mother. So pshita, that should be obvious, that since he didn't get what he paid for, why is it a question? Because you might have said, Right? So in other words, you might have thought that the reason why the person wanted eggs that were laid by the chicken was just because he wanted fully formed eggs. He wants to eat them. He doesn't want to grow chicks from them. Right? If he explicitly said, I want to grow chicks from them, then of course, if you give him eggs that can't grow chicks, then it wouldn't be a question that it's a, an invalid sale. But if the guy just said, I want eggs that were laid by the chicken, maybe he'll say he just wants fully formed, fully mature eggs. Okay? And these are also fully mature eggs. They were just found inside the chicken. It just happens to be that they're not fertile eggs, but they are fully formed eggs. So you might have thought that maybe you, he would not have to return the money. Okay? So it says, Okay, what's the difference? In other words, he has to give him back the money. So it says, right? In other words, what Rashi says is that if the person, you might have thought that all you have to do is return the difference. In other words, the guy came and said, I wanted eggs that were born, from the, that were late. Okay, he paid a little bit more money because he thought he was getting uh, eggs that were laid, and really what he got was eggs that were uh, uh, were uh, taken out of a slaughtered chicken. Okay, he wants the difference in value between the two, whatever that is. Okay, that's that that's one possibility. But it says Kamashmalan Rabbi Amid the stam man debay be'ed pachia le'efrochim ba'elo ve'en elu shavin lo klum. In other words, the chidush is he gets a full refund. Because if somebody asks for eggs that were laid by the chicken, he's not asking for it because he wants fully formed eggs because his omelets will have, be you know, more tasty or something like that. The reason is because he wants eggs that, are, uh, that can be migadel uh, or you know, they can produce uh, efrochim, they can produce further chickens. And since they're not fer- fertile eggs, then basically what he got is zero 
relative to what he was interested in. We don't assume that, oh, you really just wanted it for eating and you wanted them to be a little bit better. And since it wasn't a little bit better, maybe it's 10% better, the ones that are laid by the chicken. So I'll give you 10% off what I took of your money. I'll give you 10% back. No, I want my whole money back because I wanted these eggs to, to uh, raise more chicks and you gave me eggs that are not fertile. So that's the conclusion of the Gemara, that that's the significance. It has to be, in order to qualify as an egg that is considered an egg that's been laid, it has to be one that actually exited the body of the chicken to qualify for that. So Bezad Hashem, wish everyone Shana Tova. Bezad Hashem, I'll try to record the Mistapim. I have a, I get a, a, a head start on you.